Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley and it's Friday. We've got to the end of the week, so that is something. Uh, coming up on today's podcast is the first TV debate to the Tory leadership contest. Channel 4 tonight, Friday night. Then you've got ITV on Sunday night, Sky News on Tuesday night. Uh, so we take a look back at some of the best and worst moments of TV debates. We speak to some of the people who've been in the room prepping politicians. And Channel 4's moderator, Krishnan Gurumurthy. Uh, I caught up with him just as he was sort of preparing uh, to go on air as well. So that's coming up in a moment on the podcast. We'll do the columnist panel at the moment. But first, as ever, because it's Friday, let's take a look at what we learned this week. We learned, albeit briefly, who Raymond Shishti is. Of determination, of self-belief, of a can-do attitude. Yeah, it turns out he couldn't do. We learned that Nadim Zahawi is as good at leadership contests as he is at resigning from the Cabinet. My team is confident. Uh, yeah, the bit not that... Uh, we learned that Rishi Sunak wants to do CBB's bedtime stories. Let me tell you a story. We learned that Liz Truss isn't running to be PM. She wants to run Parcel Force. We need to deliver, deliver and deliver. We learned that Penny Morden thinks being in the Tory party is like being in the Glastow crowd for Paul McCartney. We indulged all those new tunes, but what we really wanted was the good old stuff that we all knew the words to. Low tax, small state personal responsibility. Yeah, truly, low-tax, small-state personal responsibility. It's the obladi oblada of politics. Reassuringly familiar, but totally meaningless to any normal person. Uh, we also learned that Penny Morden does funny things to Tory men. This was George Freeman. She's no woke um, warrior. She's more of a uh, liberty lioness. Easy, Tiger. And Bob Stewart praised her courage for going on ITV's Splash. And she did a, a belly flop. And afterwards, she was absolute agony. I saw her legs, they were really blue. She went in and did it again, exactly the same thing. And I thought, my God, I'd never have had the courage to do that again. So when I say courage, that's what I mean. Yeah, OK. Uh, we also learned that Patrick Maguire used to play the double bass. That's it, I'm a big lad. <laughs> Although we did manage to find him an instrument. And finally, we learned that Lindsay Hoyle's really looking forward to the end of term. Shut up a minute! <laughs> Yeah, a sentiment we can all sympathise with. And that is what we learned this week. Right, coming up next, it's time for our columnist panel. No James for Saturday, so I was joined by Melanie Reid and David Collins. The Columnists on Times Radio. 
Yeah, every morning at this time, we speak to two of our famous, favourite, famous columnists. Uh, it's always Melanie Reid. Morning, Melanie. Morning, Matt. And uh, James Forsyth is off to have a lie down because being uh, put together the spectator during a toy leadership contest is very tiring work. Uh, so I'm delighted today to be joined by uh, David Collins, Northern Editor of the Sunday Times. Hi, David. Morning, Matt. Welcome along. Welcome along uh, to uh, whatever it is uh, that we're doing. I'm interested because both of you I would describe as being not residents of the Westminster village <laughs> and all the better for it. Uh, da- <laughs> David's in Manchester. Melanie's in Scotland. Mind us where you are in Scotland, Melanie? Uh, north of Glasgow. North, north of, of Glasgow. Glasgow. So how is this looking to our idea of normal people? Melanie, first of all. It's like, well, I can't decide whether it's the carry-on film or the wacky races. You know, it is, it's just this wonderful, um, shrill drama. With, with, and to me, it's all about sex appeal. It's all about, you know, Tory Totty Penny versus... I, I don't think there's been enough discussion about her sex appeal. And why why she's in the lead, and 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 why Liz Truss is is uh, is not doing so well, because it's you know it's it's an extraordinary um, girl on girl. Um, everyone likes a bit of girl on girl action. It's blue on blue, and 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 do you not think that Penny? I mean, my husband fancies her like mad. It's it's that it's that she's got that sort of bossy frisson, you know. It's do you, do you think, Melanie? It's because everyone thinks this is uh, it would be cheap to discuss this, but actually, it does play a part in politics. It's why Tony Blair it's, had some appeal because he was massive. a bit dishy. It's not. I mean, we, we you know we 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 thought, you know we, we're crazy not to discuss it because it's such a relevant thing. I mean, I don't as as a woman, I don't particularly enjoy the fact. That 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 um, we're, you know, it's about sex appeal, but that it really does play a part, and especially with you know the unreconstructed Tory vote, um, totally. And, and because image matters, that is a, that is a thing in politics. Ed Miliband looked a bit odd, and that clearly played a part in whether or not people could see him as being prime minister. And the mm-hmm. same is true, you know, and and Penny Mordaunt's clearly someone who takes an interest in the, her appearance. Yeah, and she's got, she's just got it. She's got that kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm intellectually, I don't know, because I, I, I don't know enough about her. But um, she just has that, she has that sort of Thatcherite frisson, which which uh, turns a certain type of man's knees to water. Maybe not yours, Matt. But... And, uh... <laughs> well, obviously I'm going to remain completely impartial on this. Uh, David, does Penny Morden do it for you? Well, it's a good question. Uh, she's a good-looking woman. I must, have, yeah. I mean, she's she oh. is a good-looking woman. Um, I must admit, what you said. I mean, it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, that's a reality. You know how a politician looks and appears. I mean, it's a, it is a massive thing in terms of you know, is is do you want that person to you know be your leader, represent you on the world stage, all those things? I think it all plays in psychologically, doesn't it? To to you know who you're proud to be represented by. Um, it's interesting, actually, in being based in kind of in the north, the, the recognition factor is so low across all these, you know, across these five candidates, apart from Rishi. I think people do recognise who he is. And I was fascinated. I don't know if you saw on Newsnight a couple of nights ago where they, sat, they did a package from... Um, from basically from Yorkshire, where they sat in on a, a focus panel, and they held up cart like images and watched videos of all the candidates. Nobody knew who who any of them were. 
The only person was Rishi Sunak. They were all like, they were showing, they were showing up at Liz Truss. One woman said, oh, I think she was, I think I saw her on a TikTok, like featuring all the blunders. And that's the only like recognition, you know. So it is, it's, 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 but, you know, maybe that's, that's where Penny's strength is. You know, it's like the, the new broom. Well, Penny's been on reality TV, don't forget. She did that. She did sort of, you know, um, a, a popular telly in that splash program, and she actually did it in a swimsuit. And uh, you know, so so maybe she should have done more of that in that in in that case. I wonder, David, because um, the North, obviously, everybody everybody loves the North these days. The Red Wall. Uh, let's you know, let's go and find some Northern people and tell us what's going. And yet, none of the none of that leveling up. I mean, there's been a, a vague mention, of but there hasn't really been any discussion. No, and maybe and it's it because is, yeah. the, you know the 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 electorate, at least at this stage, are 360 Tory MPs in Westminster. Although a lot of them are from those areas, it just feels like one of the biggest political shocks and then sort of um, policy issues has just sort of just just evaporated. Yeah, and it is. I think that is a worry as well because I do think that is one of the biggest you know issues facing our country. And you know what I what I worry about is we go back into the kind of Theresa May days of the Northern Powerhouse PR fluff thing. And I know that a lot of people think that Boris is levelling up. It's not delivered, and we've had the pandemic, and it's been not you know the the, the project has been knocked back and stuff. But I do think the one thing that Boris's government did was put it back on the agenda. And I think that's really important, you know, when you're talking about government priorities and it's it's a conversation that is happening all the time, um, or it has been. Um, and, you know, as you say, you know, is that conversation dying off? And as conversations die off, so do policies. So that I do worry about that. You know, Rishi's obviously... You know he's 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 you know his constituency is in is, is in Yorkshire, but um, I do wonder how committed he is to to the leveling up kind of um, uh, you know agenda. Um, was it just these kind of you know following in Boris's coattails? You know he set up this economic campus, hasn't he? You know for the treasury in, in Darlington, but is he ever there? Um, and you know how much does he really believe in it? So you know, I'd you know in this TV debate tonight, I'd love to see what they all say about levelling up because I don't think that they've really set out anything on that yet. The thing is, they're not really set out anything on anything. I mean, the 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 mm. and it actually be interesting. We we'll hear from Krishna Gurmurthy, who's doing the Channel Four uh, debate a bit later. But um, because the questions are being sent in by members of the public, you do sort of wonder if they might suddenly be testing. You know, you suddenly start asking them questions about. How much should benefits go up by, or what are you going to do about you know disparities in life expectancy between poor areas and richer? You know the sort of panicked faces beyond let's cut taxes and bring back fly ups uh, mm-hmm. might not um, <laughs> it might it might not necessarily wash. Um, uh, I just need to bring you some breaking news. Uh, the Met Office has issued its first extreme heat weather warning covering much of England. Warning of an exceptional hot spell on Monday and Tuesday, leading to widespread impacts on people and infrastructure. This is obviously with the um, some forecasters saying it might hit forty degrees next week. I don't know. I haven't actually seen the map to see if you're affected by that, David. Are you? Are you gripped by the no, heat? No, Manchester will still be raining, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> I don't care if it's sunny everywhere else. I will go back. to I'm in London today, but when I go back to Manchester, it would be guaranteed to be like sideways rain. Um, no. Uh, 
I mean it. No, it would be great. I mean, it, you know, I think it's <laughs> it's one of them, isn't it? When when it's hot, people moan. And when it's cold, you know, nobody's ever happy in this country. But do you know what? I'm looking. Uh, at, I'm looking at the map now. The red mm. weather warning for extreme heat is a sort of U figure on its side. It goes so it goes from Manchester all the way down to London, and then sort of curls back up to York uh, with the sort of gap in the middle so manchester is covered by the extreme heat oh my god that's that's a miracle that's that's almost i might write a story on that on sunday <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is a, that's an exclusive in itself Mancunian um, shocked by good weather <laughs> yeah rest, yeah. rest of co- cobra convened to deal with uh catastrophic impact of yeah. of heat uh, Man- yeah Mancunian celebrates at more <laughs> arrival of warm weather um i'm sorry to disappoint you or maybe you're pleased melanie because uh, um the extreme the amber warning it stops uh it's almost on the on the border no it's a bit further it goes so it's, it's just sort of south of south of edinburgh glasgow uh um so you're you're escaping the heat well i i'm i'm personally quite glad it, it it's it's much preferred to be in sort of cloudy, slightly cloudy, uh, duller weather. Weather, but um, you know, it's, we're a bit like Manchester. It does rain a lot up here. We're in the west coast of Scotland, and um, you know, I mean, talking seriously for a minute, it's it's probably a better place to be than where you are, Matt. Well, well, I mean, that's true. That's true. Most days, uh, regardless of, um, of what's, <laughs> what's happening in the news, because Scotland is probably. <laughs> Probably uh, much nicer. I mean, it, I mean, I found it. Well, I think they did actually finally um, convene Cobra this week uh, to sort of look at this. But I found it weird that none of none of the leadership candidates came out and said, "If I was in number ten right now, I'd be having daily briefings, Cobra meetings. The NHS is in crisis. Uh, yeah. We can't. You know, we've got to make sure we look after the most vulnerable." None of them, as far as I'm aware, have, have done that in any meaningful way. No, no, they've not. And, and I mean, there, the, there was a story this morning warning precisely of that, of, of what could happen with, uh, with hospitals being overwhelmed by, uh, by people, you know, really elderly people, uh, fragile people being affected by the heat. No, I mean, that is one of that, to go back to the politics, that's one of the tragic things about this leadership race, that now it seems to be spinning towards, you know, they're talking now about getting, attacking Penny Morden over the culture wars and, and, you know, the definition of a woman. And isn't it madness somehow that we're, we're, they're, 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 they're putting all their efforts into this and, and that, those sort of attack lines, where if they had any grace, any sense they would be they would be doing a leveling up they would be doing worrying about the heat the you know pro- proper jobs the heat uh, things that really matter to people uh, or matter to more than one percent of the people yeah and i think that that's the yeah trying to find splitting hairs between different things that penny morden has said on yeah. the culture wars just does not feel like that's where you know when people are worried about can they can they buy food uh what are they gonna do when their bills go up you know their schools are falling down um, you know, a whole range of things. And um, uh, are you excited? Just fine. Are you excited about the Prince Andrew movie? Oh, I'm thrilled about this. Actually, <laughs> so this is um, uh, the, the, I mean, it's, I do feel like we should. There should be a rule. You can't make a drama about you, something you which mind. hasn't happened. Uh, you know, for like five years or something. But apparently, they're going to make a movie with the behind the scenes on Emily Maitlis interviewing uh, Prince Andrew on Newsnight. Yes, and uh, of course, it, 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 now that the, there's lots of debate about who's who, who's going to play, what actor is going to play Prince Andrew, and uh, there's a suggestion uh, it, it could be Hugh Grant, and Hugh Grant, of course, is pretending that he knows nothing about it. 
But um, wouldn't it be fun if he was playing it? Um, I think the person to find him, trying to find someone for Emily Maitlis would be very difficult. Um, the problem about doing it too recently, don't you think, Matt? The problem about doing it too recently, too, too, you know, in, 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 in within within a year or so of doing these the, these interviews, it, the memory is too strong. The actual real people, you know, and and lookalikes are always going to look like lookalikes. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. And actually, the problem is that if it's like slightly obscure historical figures, and you don't really know what they exactly what they look like. Yeah. You can sort of you can sort of pass over yeah. that. It's a bit like you yeah. know when, when Hugh Grant played Jeremy Thorpe. Uh, yes, it, yeah. you know you, it was fine. You know you sort of got. But when it's like, well, I know exactly what Boris Johnson or Prince Andrew or Emily maybe Emily Maitlis will play herself. I think she's doing everything else these days. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you you think about the other stuff like you know Blair Brown. You know that they dramatise the Blair Brown stuff. Yeah. Um, and and like Bernard Cumberbatch played uh, Dominic Cummings, didn't he, in that drama about about um, the the Brexit, the Leave campaign? But there was these people. Uh, were, there was a little bit more distance, and you know Bernard Cumberbatch's arguably, but uh, Bernard uh, Cumberbatch uh, Cummings is arguably much less famous than well, he is much yeah, less yeah. famous than Prince Andrew. And, yeah, and so you could you could uh, suspend his belief. I think David's back. Are you looking forward to the Prince Andrew movie? I'm very excited by it. I must admit, <laughs> um, uh, I quite like. I do like um, films about journalism. I don't know when they're quite accurate. I don't like it when it's kind of um, you know. So I, I quite like the um, spotlight. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that. Yeah, spotlight was really the, good. I thought that was quite good because it quite accurately portrays what an investigation team is like. And blah, blah, long, blah. long bits of tedium and people refusing to publish things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the news desk cutting your copy down to like a nib. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's got all the elements, hasn't it, of drama and the kind of, um, you know, you've got this you know what a character prince andrew is you know he's just you know he's like a shakespeare's dream isn't he this and you sort of person think, who just doesn't see himself given how bad it was on screen just knowing what went on to get to that point would, would be actually genuinely interesting so we'll yeah we'll see what um what's happened mm. um uh not for the first everyone agrees with you today about penny morton she's got the wow factor says someone <laughs> mike says melanie has nailed it re penny uh we uh we love penny yeah, so yep. there we are. Yeah, sex, sex, sex. That's it. Yep, I've got it. No, I mean, I, yeah. We're going to clip that up for the trail. Sex, sex, sex. <laughs> that's it. Hashtag Times Radio. <laughs> really good to speak to you both. Uh, safe journeys back to Manchester. Prepare, but get, drink, drink lots of water, David. Lots of water, lots okay. of soap. I'll cream. try not to collapse. Yeah, Definitely. don't get too excited. David Collins and Melanie Reed, though, of course, you can read them in The Times and The Sunday Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, the Tory leadership debates will be televised. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. CCHQ, Shorty Campaign Headquarters. Back in CCHQ, it's Tory... uh, No, it's not. It's Chorley. Chorley Headquarters. Guiding your way through the Tory leadership contest. And so, we thought, uh, to mark tonight's uh, TV debate of the big contenders, we'll we'll speak to some people who know how to do these things. Uh, They've been there and done that before. We'll also hear from Krishna Gurumurthy, because he's hosting the one tonight. But first, let's have a top ten moments on TV debates. At 10, it's when David Miliband was asked in a Labour leadership debate in 2010 who his political hero was. He said Anthony Crossland, and then there was this weird exchange with Jeremy Paxman. He was an intellectual who, who never became leader. No, he died, Jeremy. Yeah. He tragically died yeah. after eight months. At 9, when Theresa May didn't want to debate Jeremy Corbyn, so sent Amber Rudd in her place despite Amber's dad dying that day. Now, Amber Rudd is up next. She is not the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister is not here tonight. She can't be bothered. So why should you? At eight, when Theresa May did turn up in 2017 and declared... There isn't a magic money tree that we can shake that suddenly provides for everything that people want. At seven, another leader running scared when Boris Johnson didn't show up to a debate on the climate crisis, so Channel 4 replaced him with a big cold lump. We kept the invitations open to the leaders of the Conservative Party. Instead, a reminder, the ice caps are melting. In at six, when Rory Stewart weirdly took his tie off halfway through a debate in 2019... I thought I thought maybe if I took my tie off, we could get back to a bit of reality. At five, in 2014, Nick Clegg challenging Nigel Farage to debate about Brexit and getting absolutely demolished. There's an obstacle, though, and the obstacle uh, is here tonight in the form of Nick Clegg. It's the career political class. At four, when Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson were asked in 2019 what Christmas presents they'd give each other. A Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. Uh, since you want a literary uh, effort, uh, a copy of my, my brilliant Brexit deal... At three, in 2015, when UKIP's leader Paul Nuttall kept calling the Plaid leader, Leanne Wood, Natalie. In Wales, you were prepared to just lose down the Swanee. Natalie, we have a huge trading deficit. I think that Natalie's absolutely right. At two, it wasn't a proper debate, but it was when Ed Miliband insisted he was well hard. Am I tough enough? Tough enough? Hell yes, I'm tough enough. And in it won, at our top ten TV debate moments, who can forget when Clegmania swept the country? Yeah, I agree with uh, Nick. I'm, I'm, see, I, I agree with Nick. I agree with Nick. And that is our top ten TV debate moments. So, will we get any new entries into that top ten over the next few days? Well, tonight, Channel 4 hosts the first TV debate among the five Tory party leadership candidates, Rishi Sunak, Penny Morden, Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch, 
and Tom Tuganar. On Sunday night, ITV is a debate. Sky News have got one on Tuesday. Well, in a moment, we'll hear from Krishna Goemurthy about how he's preparing to host the Channel 4 showdown. But first, let's get some advice from the, for the candidates. I'm sure we're listening as they're preparing. Here, let's hear from some people who've been there and done that, helped candidates prepare and then stood with their head in their hands when in, things have gone horribly wrong. Now, the idea of holding a prime ministerial debate dates all the way back to 1964. Harold Wilson challenged Conservative Alec Douglas Hume to the debate. Hume rejected it, uh, fearing it would turn the election into a top-of-the-pops contest. Heaven forbid. So it wasn't until 2010 when the party and the broadcasters finally agreed on a format. That debate gave Nick Clegg an opportunity to introduce himself to the public in a way no Lib Dem leader had before. Some think his success at the debates ended up costing David Cameron's Conservatives a majority. The Labour Party were uh, on the way out under Gordon Brown. And obviously it all led to the Lib Dems ending up in government. So that famous moment at the end of the first one when Nick Clay was caught on a hot mic telling David Cameron, if we carry on like this, we'll never have anything to disagree about. Well, in that first debate back in 2010, Sean Kemp was an advisor to Nick Clegg at the time. And he told me how they prepared for this new campaign opportunity. In 2010 for Liberal Democrats, they obviously knew that the TV debates were going to be a huge opportunity for Nick to break through with the vast majority of electorate who had never heard of him. So we spent a huge amount of time on preparation. Essentially, what we did were mock debates. We had Chris Hewn uh, playing Gordon Brown. David Laws played David Cameron. And we would just, the rest of us would just sort of sit in the audience, go, hello, I'm, you know, Doris from Stoke. Could you please tell me what you're going to do about uh, improving, you know, bus, bus timetables or something? And we did loads of them, all recorded. And then what we would afterwards do is obviously provide feedback in the room. Then we all had to go home and watch the recordings on TV at home, see how it felt when we were at home. There was a lot of coverage after the first debate about Nick and the sort of techniques he'd used. Like he was always looking straight down the camera and so on, which was a sort of deliberate thing. It sounds very cheesy, but it was a deliberate choice. And things like that all came because we all went home and watched it on TV because we would never have said it if we were all just doing it in the room. So we really sort of made a point of trying to like sit on our sofa and, and watch it, try and get some sort of sense of what it might feel like just to be watching the thing. That was Sean Kemp, who used to work for Nick Clegg. Now, because the 2010 debate had such a significant impact on that election, by 2015, nobody could underestimate their importance. Labour, under Ed Miliband, spared no expense in their preparation. Times Radio's very own Aisha Hazarika was an advisor to Ed Miliband at the time. We spent so much time um, on what we called, and the official title was Debate Camp, and it was sort of like, it was like all the nerds in the Labour Party absolutely nerding out um, about Debate Camp, and there was a ferocious row about who was going to be in, in Debate Camp. And because a lot of politics is a lot of men, we suddenly got to debate camp and there was a sudden realisation that there were quite a few female politicians that would be taking part in the debates. So I had to play Nicola Sturgeon, Natalie Bennett and Leanne Wood. I had to sort of run around pretending to be all of them. At one point, we had to sort of get this guy called Mark Steers to be Leanne Wood. And he sort of had to do this really, like, he really got into it, though. He sort of put on this very 
sort of gentle Welsh accent and really, really got into it and like got really upset about how terrible we were being to Wales and things like that, like got really, really into it. And then eventually we had to get Kezia Dugdale. So I was doing a lot of Nicola Sturgeon. It's very empowering being Nicola Sturgeon. If you're ever having a down day, just pretend you're Nicola Sturgeon and it is quite empowering. Kezia Dugdale then got drafted in to be um, Nicola Sturgeon. And one of the things that was really interesting is that we had lots of Americans who flew over to help us with our debate camp. So David Axelrod came over with all his advisors. This is why the Labour Party hasn't got any money left, by the way. We all spent it on people like David Axelrod. And we would just have like hours and hours and hours of preparation. And we'd be at various kind of houses around in the English countryside. I think we stayed at... Lord Ali's house a couple of weekends we were like at Charlie Fault we were just in these random places around the country doing debate prep with with Ed and Alistair Campbell was involved as well and at the beginning he was um playing David Cameron but then he was so aggressive to Ed we had to like pull him off being um David Cameron because it was just like battering Ed's confidence basically it was like it was too much Ed was like a sort of wreck by the end of it so then Alistair got moved to just sort of doing kind of observing and giving his uh, advice then Tom Hamilton got drafted in to play David Cameron I can't remember who ended up playing Nick Clegg because who remembers anything about Nick Clegg and I think we probably over prepped in a way because sometimes you can over prep and you can't see the wood for the trees you can't see the obvious answer staring you in the face you get two in the weeds of, of things yeah it doesn't matter how much time and money you spend on preparation though the real thing is a very different beast here's sean kemp again the thing i always say is that it wasn't that great in most rehearsals <laughs> we, i remember i was incredibly nervous going to the first one partly because actually the thing about having people from like your own party playing the other people's roles is they kind of know what the weaknesses are and david laws playing david cameron just kept on doing this thing where he kept on saying what Nick Clegg says is all, you know, it's all very sensible. But if you actually want that stuff, vote for the Conservatives because we're the ones who are going to be in government and we're the ones who can do it, which Nick found maddening to deal with. And we were actually really worried that Cameron was going to sort of try that approach. But actually kind of didn't really. So the best performance I saw from Nick was actually the first debate, like better than the rehearsal ones. There is no doubt at all that the fact we rehearsed so much meant he was just relaxed with the, the format and how it was all going to work. And he knew how he wanted to structure his answers and so on. It wasn't just rehearsals. We had a very big, what we call the debate book, where we had every single possible topic that we thought could come up. And we had, here is your top line, here are some key facts. And it would be like if he had a down 10 minutes in his car going from one election visit to the next, he would be going through the debate book. It's like all these things. He just There was a lot of practice and prep. And I think that kind of paid off that he just he was quite relaxed into it. And he enjoyed it. You know, the moment that first debate kicked off, it was like he's actually quite enjoying this. And he sort of relaxed into it. And... Once it was clear that was happening, I think he just sort of, you know, it just went really well. Miles better than we could have expected. Well, by 2015, David Cameron had got slightly better at doing the debates. What does, what does winning actually look like? Well, Giles Kenningham was in David Cameron's debate team during the 2015 general election. Getting the expectation management right, so outperforming expectations to start with. Secondly, I suppose having that soundbite which is used the most, so is shared afterwards on social media... Uh, is clipped for the TV TV bulletins. And thirdly, quite frankly, no screw-ups, uh, which is always, you know, if you're Rishi Sunak now, they'll be incredibly nervous about debates, hence why they're nervous about doing in-depth interviews. So, 
it's about coming out of it unscathed. Now, in 215, I think our view was that even if we sort of, if we got a score draw out of the seven-way debate, I think it was, that was fine. Or even if we came second, we just didn't want to come really, really far behind. But I think these, these debates take on, they've got an extra sort of resonance power because it's such a closely, such a closely fought race at the moment that, to some extent, everyone's looking at the candidates going, how do they cope under pressure? Are they agile on their feet? You know, if we'd had these debates in 2016, would Theresa May have won? She might not, because she wasn't particularly good on her feet. And it will test the levels, levels of scrutiny, because there are some prevailing narratives where you're just like, well, I'm actually sure that's true. The media might have pushed that, or that's become a truism. But let's actually see how good people are performing. Someone like Penny Morden, so far, has been good, but she's not actually been tested in this kind of environment. Uh, and conversely, someone like Tom Tugendhat, who is last in the field at the moment, nothing to lose expectations are low, could have a game changer and could really shake up the race. If Rishi falters, then he could be out. You know, you could, you could still have a, a uh, Liz Truss versus Penny Morden final two. Uh, that's Giles uh, came there. Well, one thing is certain, things will go wrong. And there's not much you can do from the green room as a spin dodger except watch in horror. In 2010, Nick Clegg, Gordon Brown and David Cameron all slipped up by having the bright idea of having pre-scripted anecdotes about meeting ordinary members of the public that came out sounding a little bit suspicious. Here's Sean Kemp again. David Cameron said he'd met, he met a black, black man in Plymouth who had been in the Navy, but then when you worked how old he said the bloke was, it turned out he'd have been like 12 in the Navy or something. Nick had several anecdotes he, he sort of turned down. They're all anecdotes that were, they were true, the things that people had said to them because we knew that people would ask and say. But it, and Gordon Brown was doing the same thing. So after a while, it was just this... It was the three party re- leaders reeling off. Basically, it all sounded like they said, I have met ordinary people. And it became a sort of bad joke. So you sort of noticed in the next two debates, they all stopped doing that instantly. Yeah, we need to be careful with the anecdotes. Well, Ed Miliband's debate performances, <laughs> they're now like basically the stuff of legend. Uh, mainly things that they should avoid doing. Uh, in particular, don't fall over. Ayush has a week again. The one that was the really scary one at the end was you know he he got through like the final debate and it was it was really really tough and we were all watching it in a room off the um where the main sort of studio bit was and we were all like okay you know it's been pretty tough but he's got through it and in the in the rehearsal we had said be really careful about the stage there's a there's a slight lip on the stage and I think about three or four times people have gone (laughs) you don't trip up I mean that would be awful cut to Ed tripping up over the lip of the stage and it was just like oh my god we were watching it and we were just all like head in our hands just going no 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 and there was of course like a slight delay from Ed leaving the stage tripping up and getting into the green room and he walked in and we were all like no and he was like oh I thought that went pretty well actually I thought it went pretty well and we were like um and then Rachel Reeves was in the room and Rachel like we were all we didn't really know what to say and then Rachel Reeves went do you know what Ed it's a bit like I think it was great I think just own it it's a bit like when Madonna fell off the stage at the Brit Awards just like totally it It was like oh it was just like it was in these moments we were just like oh my god this is horrendous there's nothing better than Aisha's impression of Ed Miliband and even think when even when you just when you think you got it right on the night you then find something else comes back to haunt you in the papers in the morning. There was this very strange American man who came over who told Ed to do this thing whenever he felt stressed, which was happy warrior. So whenever Ed would get stressed, this really strange American man would go, 
Ed, happy warrior, happy warrior. And everybody's like, what does that mean? And then we had this terrible moment where Ed left all his notes on the podium after the first debate. And the son, I think, got hold of all these notes that just said, happy warrior, happy warrior, which made us all look completely demented. Happy warrior is very good. I've forgotten about that. So how do you make sure that things go right? The Conservative advisor, Charles Kenningham again, says all the prep in the world can't ultimately beat having a strong personality. I think the spin room afterwards actually works when you've got someone who's got a really sharp, funny turn of phrase. Right? People don't want to hear the trotted out lines from each party. They'll fall asleep. It, it, it is actually ironic what you need. The Boris Johnsons, the Peter Mandelsons, the Ken Clarks, those people who can actually just spin a really pithy line because normally all the hacks are on deadline and the broadcast looking for those sound bites. Having said that, the other point with the war room and the sort of spin room afterwards, you need to start spinning before the end, actually spinning in real time. Yeah, the spin room, that's where all the journalists uh, sit and watch the debate and then they send politicians in to say, I think my guy won. It's the most pointless exercise and everyone pretends that they're on uh, the West Wing or something. Um, <laughs> so we look ahead to the Tory leadership debates uh, tonight. And the ones to watch, all eyes will be on the underdogs. I love talking about the Nick Clegg debates and going, oh, here are our tactics and here's how you rehearse and here's why we were brilliant. And, stuff. and Nick was great in particularly the first two debates, I think. What was also true is Nick just had a massive advantage, which was that people hadn't really heard of him. So he was the outsider and people were forming opinion of him for the first time. So as long as he came across kind of coherent and sensible and a bit sort of fresh, he was always going to have an advantage. And I, th- I think what was hard when Nick did the debates with Nigel Farage was Farage, in a sense, was more the outsider and Nick was the establishment person. I think that's something that often gets forgotten a lot about debates. We'll all talk about the, debate, the tactics and the lines they use a lot of it. A lot of it is really just who's the outsider. And if the outsider can come across as being quite relatively impressive, even if they're just as good as the ones that people know a lot about, they will just get a massive boost. They will do well in those polls that get run after the debate, which make the whole spin room nonsense completely irrelevant, by the way. Everyone's like pretending they're in like the West Wing when it's it's the opinion polls will tell you who's won. That's why if you're Kemi Badenoch or if you're Tom Tugendhat at the moment, you, you know, the idea that you might pull out before you get a chance to go on these debates is, is bonkers. You want, you want to be in the debate because you could just turn it around. It could be your moment. That was the former Liberal Democrat advisor, Sean Kemp. There. So we've heard the stories of what's gone wrong in the past on TV debates, but now we look ahead to the first debate between the Tory candidates. Krishnan Gurumurthy is hosting for, on uh, Channel 4. I'm delighted Krishnan joins me now. Uh, morning, Krishnan. Good morning, Matt. Uh, thank you for joining because I know, I know you're a busy man today. How are preparations going? Well, it's a bit frantic because, you know, we only got confirmation that they were all definitely going to turn up yesterday afternoon and obviously as you know it's like it's a really fast changing contest they say different things almost every hour um, and get into sort of different bidding wars over policy so trying to keep up with everything they've said so far is a bit of a non-stop battle the google docs are sort of going a bit bonkers um just to sort of keep across it and and we've got to sort through the audience questions this morning and decide what's going to be asked and in what order uh, give us a sense of what those audience questions are looking like, because the, the debate so far has been quite narrow. There's been a lot about sort of tax and spend and who was in the cabinet and who wasn't. I assume that you've had a much broader selection of questions, which will go into areas which so far we don't really know where lots of them stand. Well, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm not going to give away question areas um, at, at this stage for obvious reasons, because I don't want them to be overprepped. But I mean, um, from what we've seen so far, 
the the audience, and this is an audience of floating voters rather than Conservative Party members who will be electing. So it's a little bit broader than sort of the electorate um, who are actually deciding this. You know, they have a, a really big sense of the depth of the crisis that the government's in to have got here. And I think that's what's been really interesting. You know, while they're trying to be very nice to each other while stabbing each other in the back um, and, and sort of collegiate, um, I'm not sure so far we've had a really big sense of the extent to which they get the problem. And I think that's what we're going to really explore because the, the questions coming in, um, I, th- I think, will really expose the extent to which voters think there's been a massive crisis over the last few months. There's been a really big problem with the government uh, and they really want something quite new. So, uh, so I think that's what we'll be exploring. And just talk me through the mechanics of it, because clearly, you know, you'll have to be fair and everyone will have to have a certain amount of time. But then how do you, I don't know, if, if you end up having a really good ding dong between two people, that's quite good telly. At what point then do you have to balance that with, well, if they're talking, then that's eating into someone else's time. Have you got someone in your ear with a stopwatch? How, how do you, yeah, there, how do, there, you do there, all that? There are several stop clocks going on, on each of the candidates um, and, and we are committed to you know, in broad terms, giving them equal time, they will each get to answer a question first um, so that there's no sort of preferential treatment on that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, they, they will they will broadly get the same amount of airtime and the same attempts at questions. Um, they will be ordered in alphabetical order um, along the podiums um, and they each will get a final closing statement, but not an opening statement. Uh, so it'll be it'll be very fair. They will they will all get absolutely the same opportunity to put their case. The real question on these debates is to what extent are they going to try and knock each other out? Now, the last time I did this in 2019, I was really surprised because I thought they were all going to come in and and be sort of quite careful and collegiate, and we're all on the same side here, guys. And they just went for each other almost immediately. And uh, it was sort of astonishing to watch that this was sort of open warfare breaking out. Now, I don't know whether that's going to happen this time, because they're obviously trying to project a different, um, you know, a different kind of image. And they're all talking about integrity and new starts and all that kind of stuff. So it's quite hard to predict how it will go. But at the end of the day, they know, they know. And I think ultimately, the reason they've all agreed to these TV debates is because it's up for grabs. You know, there is no clear leader. Rishi Sunak is not the runaway winner at this stage in the contest and you know they're all in it to to get as far as they possibly can and so the tv debates i think are going to be really important and it's the opportunity to see whether they are prepared to knock you know is liz truss gonna go for penny mordant i don't know you know um let, let's see is it, is it that's an interesting and of course back in 2019 you didn't have boris johnson there so you replaced him with a with a big ice sculpture, at least. Exactly. No, no, no. That well, we, people get a bit muddled up. Um, twenty nineteen was 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 a debate much like tonight's debate. It was Corporate Britain's next PM. There were no ice sculptures. There was an empty podium. That's right. Um, and and the funny thing was about that was that, that you know all the candidates in that debate were really keen to stand next to the empty podium and were sort of asking, well, how are you going to arrange the podium and where's it going to go? Because they all wanted to say, look, he didn't turn up. Obviously, we we just arranged them in in alphabetical order, I think, that time as well. So, the, you know, the, the, they, they couldn't game it that way. Um, no, ice sculptures was all to do with climate change, um, the climate debate, which was a totally different that was debate. The, that was yes, the election. That was, that, was during the ele- that was during the election. And so yeah. in terms of your 
uh, researching it, if you come across like a new fact or a new thing you did, because a lot of them aren't that well known. They haven't, you know, although Liz Truss has been around in the cabinet for a long time, you know, only about a third of the public seems to know a huge amount about her. Have you discovered anything interesting about any of the candidates during your research? I think it's more to do with what they're saying and what whether it adds up. Yeah. Tonight. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's really interesting contradictions, I think, in what some of them are saying, um, because they're obviously trying to please multiple constituencies. And so I think testing the coherence of what they've been saying so far is, is going to be the interesting bit. And whether they will each point out the incoherences and inconsistencies in, in what each other are saying. So, I mean, you know, I, 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 I think the fact that we don't know very much about, well, any of them, I suppose, except Rishi Sunak, um, and we know a little bit about Liz Truss, but I mean, in terms of profile, it's, um, it's really only Sunak who's got any profile at this stage. It, you know, it's just, it's just really odd, isn't it? I mean... Um, but also quite exciting. Their... I, people keep saying yeah. to me, who's going to win then? And my response is, I don't know. And that's what... We don't need yeah. to make a call. That's the whole point of this process, is, is it's much... It's probably better... It's definitely better telly. It's probably better for democracy. If there isn't a foregone conclusion, then everyone can sort of pick their way through it and... and uh, and, and and actually let the process play out. I just want to find you, I ask you, Christian, I, I won't ask you, obviously, who you're supporting or who you think is going to win, but um, uh, I just wondered if you if, if you could pick your, your sort of fantasy lineup of politicians uh, from the past to, to chair one of these debates for, who would you like to sort of pit against each other? Who do you think would make good telly? <laughs> I think it's always like, it, it's, it, you'd have to pick out the great leaders, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, Thatcher Blair... Oh, yeah, that would be pretty good. They'd probably agree on quite a lot. And I'm sure they would, and I'm sure that's what would be really interesting. But, I mean, you know, if you if you think the sort of the, I suppose, the hatred with which Blair came in to office for, you know, his desire to destroy the Conservative Party, um, if you caught him at that sort of 97 Blair um, and, and Thatcher towards the end, then um, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be amazing tonight. Uh, all the details, is it 7.30 tonight, Christian, on Channel 4? 7.30 tonight for 90 minutes, and, you know, it's, it's going to be... I, re I really don't know what to expect. You know, I'm going in there kind of thinking, I have no idea how this is going to play. Let's just ask the first question and see. And by the end of it, we might know who the next Prime Minister is going to be. That's an exciting thing. It might be clear, hopefully. How are, you, are you excited, <laughs> nervous, um, confused? I, I, well, all of the above, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like I've got a mountain of stuff to get through because... It's one of those things when you're moderating the debate, obviously the audience asks the, the key questions that change the subject. The job of the moderator is to make sure people aren't getting away with, with lies, half-truths, you know, saying things that are wrong. So you're sort of being a, a live fact-checker um, as well, uh, whilst also trying to make sure that you're being fair and which order are they going in and how much time have they all had. So there's a lot bouncing around in your head uh, while you're doing it. So it, it's slightly overwhelming. Um, at this stage, but uh, and the and the main thing you hope is that they debate. Yeah, you know, there's nothing worse than sort of five people turning up and kind of just being really trying to take the the fizz out of it. I just kind of hope that they they realise the stakes are really high. They've got to go for it. They've got to try and win this debate um, and and make it you know a a big democratic event. 
That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? <laughs>